right, all right, all right. Welcome to Living in the Past, where two middle-aged dudes relive their past by enjoying the pop culture of their youth. Devin, are you ready to drink your sweat, wander a desert, and ride worms and get high? Jeremy, it's Saturday morning, California time, and I've got two out of those four things already checked off my day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you might hear someone laughing in the background. Yes, this is a special episode Mm. Because we have brought our top intern, Carl, to help yeah. us make sense yes. of this odd sci-fi yes. film. Carl, you know, how does it feel to finally hit the big time? Uh, I was excited. I'm still, I didn't believe it. I, I thought I was supposed <laughs> to do some research. and bring up, So I came up with a trivia question. I thought that's oh. why I was here. Oh, yes, so, yes. Oh. Do you want to uh, ask it now? Yeah, yeah. Living in the past trivia question. So now we have a tandem father-son not ne- not in the same movie, but they're actors. They have appeared now in Living in the Past. Who are they? Father and son. Wow. In the same film they've appeared? No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. Now they, they're, they've appeared on Living in the Past. Wow. Not in the same film. Ooh. I'm going to go Clint I mean, I say- and Kyle Eastwood. Bingo! Yeah. That's a bingo. Oh, yeah. No. no. Damn it. <laughs> what did Kyle Eastwood do in the 80s? He was born. Oh, okay. Did they film? I guess there's a video of that somewhere, but Oof. we I haven't have covered no it. No idea. This is this is intriguing. Mm, okay. See. Well, today, yeah. today. Oh. I mean, I say today has done it. So there's one oh. person in the film today. Ooh. Oh. Okay. I'm going. I'm going Dang. through it all. Um, go on, go on. This, folks, for for those of you just tuning in, uh, this is why <laughs> patrons, <laughs> patrons especially, this is why your gracious, generous donations go to support this program is because we have Carl the intern that he knows shit about this podcast that we don't even know. So um, this is amazing. Ah, oh, goodness. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm going. I'm, don't, don't tell me yet. Oh, like, oh, okay. I'm going right. to milk this for a minute. Wow. Like, all right. I'm going oh through. Okay, why, don't you, why, don't, why don't we just go through the, if it hits you in the middle of the podcast oh, anywhere. Oh, 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 oh. Um, uh, you got, Jose, you got Jose, Jose, um, yeah, yeah, Ferrar, Ferrar, yeah, because uh, his son's in Robocop. Yes, what? Wow. <laughs> do a bell sound for yourself. I don't have any uh sounds here, but uh, well, let ding, me, ding, let me ding. look at my soundboard really yeah, quick. That's, that's amazing. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. All right, we got clapping, mm. clapping could uh, work. I could work. There you go. Um, we got laughing that, <laughs> that might actually be more appropriate, wow. but here, here we go. A little bit, of, a little bit of clapping. Oh, nice. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Miguel, Miguel Ferrar was in Robocop. Yeah. And Jose Ferrar is in today's uh, Dune. So, wow. Hey, that's going to do for this show... episode, everyone. Well, uh, thanks for hanging out with us. <laughs> uh, the show's already better because yeah. Carl's here. Yeah. Yeah. Am I supposed to leave now or do I get <laughs> no, to? No, we'll, no. We'll, oh, okay. We'll keep you. We'll keep you. Oh, Carl, when, when did you first see Dune? Um. You know, there's a running theme with Devin as far as it's on VHS somewhere right, like right. a few years later. Yeah. Or no, no, TBS, TNT, T- TBS yeah, uh, right. cable. Um, my running theme of my life is I always wanted to go to these movies and I would ask my friends and I would always just miss like, oh, we just went and saw that. And then I would go. The- <laughs> so I wanted to see Dune and then uh, some of my friends were like, we saw it. Eh, you know, you wouldn't like it. And so yeah. I actually kind of put it off till uh, I, I knew about the book. Uh, mm-hmm. In junior high, I'd see it kind of up on the wall in yeah. one of the classrooms. And so I I wanted to read the book. So I eventually read the book in my probably early 20s. And then after that, went back and watched uh, 
uh, maybe still a VHS of maybe a DVD of Dune. So it was probably in the early '90s when I watched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Devin, what what about you? When was your first experience with with the movie? Oh, oh thank you for clarifying because the show notes just said what was your first experience, and I was thinking I was going to have to tell some stories <laughs> that I weren't sure we're ready for a family friendly podcast. Um, <laughs> my first experience with it. Um, Carl kind of foretold this, um, <laughs> was on cable television some years later, I'm guessing probably, yeah. I don't know, early 90s, 1991, 90, something there. If, folks, if you're listening to this, you're probably putting together um, some some pieces of the puzzle, realizing that the early 90s for me just really sucked. Um, <laughs> just planted in front of a television watching old 80s pop culture movies, but here we hey, are. That's- that's all of us. That's all of us. I, I actually, I actually have an incredible Dune experience. Oh, um, I was um, in Hawaii at the time. I lived on the island of Oahu. My dad was in the Air Force, so moved around a lot. And uh, Dad, one evening, was like, "Hey, we're going to go see a double feature at the drive-in." Whoa! Ooh. And feature number one, The Last Starfighter. Wow. <laughs> feature number two. Dune. Wow. And I took one of my best buddies. His name was Kyle. And, and Kyle and I, my dad, we went. And um, I, I have this. It's just one of those sweet memories. In fact, this week I was on the phone with my dad. And, and, and he was like, hey, how's that podcast you're doing going? I was like, good, we're doing Dune. He's like, and the first thing he said, he's like, do you remember when we went to the drive-in? That Aww. was so much fun. And, and literally between features... We did. We just created our own Star Wars trivia. The what? three of us, and we would just each <laughs> ask each other questions, and like we had the best time. And to this day, I can't. I have when I think of Dune, I think of the Last Starfighter, just because they were in that double feature, the drive-in. So when it comes to '80s pop culture and just '80s pop culture experiences, yeah. This is actually one of my my fondest memories. Wow. It was just really a lot of fun. I would put that up with uh, there was a uh, a movie theater in Virginia Beach, um, and they I don't think the theater exists anymore, but it was a huge screen, and they did the Star Wars trilogy back to back to back. This is before any prequel talk. This was in yeah. the actually during the dark times between Return of the Jedi and Heir to the Empire, the novel that kind of restarted mm-hmm. Star Wars in, in some ways. And, and yeah, I went and saw that. That was an amazing 80s pop culture you know, night, too, to see all three back-to-back. And it was before I had access to the letterbox of Star Wars. And so I was noticing things off to the, to the sides you know, that I had <laughs> forgotten about because I had just seen my crappy TV 4x3 VHS you know, copy of Star Wars. So... Mm. It was a lot of fun, but but Dune and, and Last Starfighter, they're forever intertwined because of that drive-in theater experience. I just want to give a shout-out to your dad because I just did a little searching on our friends at IMDb here. That Those movies together, not including any intermission, is about a five-hour runtime. <laughs> um, and so kudos to your dad for putting up with two teenagers for five hours it was, in a it car. It was awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> a lot of food and snacks and laughter nice. at, at least that's how i remember it my dad would probably like get me the f home <laughs> what have i done <laughs> out of here what have i done oh my gosh um i loved the book i i actually saw the movie obviously before i read the book but read the book probably late teens early 20s and i think the book is 
really really good just reread it um last year so Mm -hmm. um i you know dune is one of those interesting stories right uh it it just kind of stands the test of time in in many ways but i and this is a question later in the show notes but i think we should probably go there like what what is it about dune Mm. why does it like they're about to release a new iteration of it in the cinemas and on our tvs like carl why do people keep coming back to this why is this story kind of have the staying power say like a lord of the rings Mm. Mm -hmm. um i think you kind of nailed it when you said lord of the rings it and i think even in part of your notes you're saying is this really different than other sci-fi that we've seen or read Mm. and you know, you could maybe ask the same thing about Lord of the Rings, right? But you're like, well, no, Lord of the Rings is different. And sometimes it's, and I've used this analogy before, like with the Beatles, and you know, our friend Jackie loves the Beatles. But it's like the Beatles, if you if you existed before the Beatles came along, and then you heard the Beatles, you would be like, okay, this is totally different. Mm-hmm. And if you understand, like maybe playing music, okay, this is totally different. You know, they changed there was a paradigm shift or whatever there was you know i don't like to use cliches like game changer but let's say there was a contest that had rules and everybody played a certain way according to the rules and then someone came along and did it a way that made everybody react to those rules differently that's Mm -hmm. the way i avoid saying game changer but anyway no it's um they set the dune kind of set up a lot of things and even in the movie we'll talk about talk about this later a lot of stuff has fed off of the book or the movie that didn't get made of Dune. Um, and so there's a lot of world building in there that J.R.L. Tolkien did great in Lord of the Rings. And he probably, he did it better than anybody. He's got a whole history of stuff before he ever wrote right. the book. Dune has set up a, you know, and there's stuff you don't understand. You've come in the middle of this feudal system in mm. a galactic setting. And there's, you know, that there's politics and intrigue and we want power here, power there, but we just come up and we're dropped in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And we're suddenly mm-hmm. going to start with um, shifting of power between two great houses and the emperor's hand and all that. So yeah, I think it just relates to, it's a great way of putting things that we see in our world mm. in a setting that we don't, we don't take offense to it necessarily if it's maybe critiquing something that we agree with. Mm. Right. And so I think that's why it lasts and does well. Yeah. Yeah, Devin, what do you what do you think? Like, what's the is it just giant worms? <laughs> is that why this thing? Sticks <laughs> well, around? I mean, I mean, some of that's age dependent. Sure, I you know if you're if you're in middle school or whatever when you when you see this or or read this, then yeah, I think that that's certainly part of the appeal. But I think Carl, uh, per his usual, nails it right. It it's it's this familiar setting, and I think anytime that we have books, film, works of art that mirror something that feels familiar to us in our, in our quote unquote real lives. I think that that, that brings us in and whenever we're pitting struggle of, of power between two or more persons or houses or whatever it is, I I think that there's something relatable and appealing about that. So we throw that in, we talk about, uh, you know, the, the, the hero's journey. And then I I think, you know, to, to some extent, I think that there's just this, this fondness of, science fiction science fantasy that for some reason or another we we feel super captivated by and maybe it's our i guess desire to, to to know or think wonder if what we're experiencing here on this planet is happening elsewhere or did happen elsewhere or whatever else so i think it's just a culmination of a lot of things that really just kind of push the right buttons in the human psyche yeah yeah and 
you know, the Dune novel, obviously, everyone's, not everyone, but there are many people that say, oh, this might be one of the best science fiction books written. Mm. And, you know, I, I don't know if people feel similarly about all of its sequels, because there's a lot. But but all, that first one, a lot of people are, are like, point to and say, this is sort of what Lord of the Rings is to fantasy, Dune is to science fiction. Mm. Although, it has a fantasy-like element to it, you know, similar to what Star Wars is, right? Right, and, right. And, you know, there's... Kind of magical properties to Dune. Um, the book obviously was was popular, and the movie was kind of kicking around by the early seventies. Like there was attempts to make it, and most famously was <laughs> uh, Jodorowsky came along to. He was a filmmaker. He was sort of this uh, kind of experimental filmmaker, mm. but he was sort of given an opportunity to make Dune. And what he came up with was, there's no other way to put it. It, it was batshit crazy. I mean, it was <laughs> nuts what he was trying uh. to do. He was this, you know, he had put together this French, Italian, Mexican production. So it was sort <laughs> of outside of the Hollywood establishment. He was given some money and he started making stuff. And there's a phenomenal documentary called Jodorowsky's Dune. Um, and it it is truly, you get an idea of just how mind-blowing mm. the film mm. could have been. What's interesting is in the production design, in the storyboarding. I mean, at one point, they had some of the top artists working on the storyboards. And the storyboards itself is just an incredible work of art. But all of that stuff it, it really influenced science fiction films for the next... 20 years, probably, mm -hmm. um, including, you know, uh, our beloved Star Wars. Yeah. And at one point, I mean, he had people like Mick Jagger attached to the the film. Uh, you know, Salvador Dali was attached <laughs> to the film. Yes. Um, it's just truly a nutty thing, but it never came to fruition. Funding mm -hmm. fell through. Hollywood probably had something to do with that, you know, and trying to push and not let it be successful. Um Obviously, Carl, you said before we started recording, you would you watched the documentary, so you've yeah. all obviously heard heard of this film. But um, Devin, what about you? I mean, when you hear this, like yeah. there was this project that had yeah. all this crazy stuff being yeah. thrown at it. Is this intriguing to you, or is it is is it more of a? I'm glad that didn't get made. Well, as someone who ever so carefully tried to sync up the Wizard of Oz film with Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon album. <laughs> um, I'm totally into this idea. I mean, talk about artistic expression. Yeah, why not? Because here's what I think. I, I, I think that when we look at films, and you brought up Lord of the Rings, one of the great challenges of books like that, uh, books like Dune, you're, you either have to go all in and decide it's going to be kind of a, a tit-for-tat retelling, or you're going to have to cut parts and or reimagine parts. And and I think that, you know, with with this, and we'll, I love just referring to it as kind of like the Salvador Dali um, mm -hmm. version of this, I, I think that that's an interesting spin. Because then I don't think you're as concerned with, oh, it doesn't match the book, or this is different from the book, or whatever else. So this, this is yeah. such a creative artistic expression. I'm totally down for that understanding that it is just some strange variant that lives in this parallel universe of sorts. But I want to ask you, though, Jeremy, because, yeah. you know, one of the things that we see and will certainly be criticized by the, the 84 version of Dune, the 2022 version of Dune or 2021 version of Dune, excuse me, as well as even some of the Lord of the Ring films. Like, how do you how do you successfully make a film that is based on a book that there is a 
very devoted following of when you have things like filming budgets <laughs> and, and right. timelines mm -hmm. and things like that. So how, how would you even approach this if you were trying to pitch this to a studio? Yeah, I, I think the most successful is when a filmmaker and their creative team is able to distill down the novel that they're adapting mm. into its kind of like essence, mm -hmm. um, the spirit of it. I, I think that's, I know I, I have friends that do not think Peter Jackson did that um, with Lord of the Rings, but I do. I feel like he kind of was able to distill. So when you watch it, it might not go according to plan, like the novels. Yeah. But there's something true about it that rings true from the the novels you've read or the yeah. novel that you read. Yeah. And I think with Dune, there there that has to happen as well. But it's also knowing making the right moves, like with mm. characters. Like yeah. for example, and and I don't think I have this in the show notes, but but one of my favorite characters is a character from the novel, is um Richard Jordan's character, he plays Duncan Idaho. Mm. And this is played by um oh uh Mayo, is it uh, it's play. It's in the new film. It's mm -hmm. played by Jason Momoa. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Jason Momoa, right? Jason Momoa. Yeah. Momoa. Okay. I'm yeah, Jason Momoa, um, who's kind of this larger than life personality. In the early reviews for this new Dune, mm. a lot of people make statements like Jason Momoa like steals the film. Like he's such a scene stealer. Wow. And and so in this iteration of Dune, this '84 David Lynch Dune. Yeah. Idaho's in like a couple scenes and all the actors have said like we all have I think Patrick Stewart famously said about Dune like all of us all of these supporting actors which are incredibly talented we all lost at least two big scenes wow and so you see that with like it's so it's knowing being able to distill everything down into like kind of a, it's like essence that the audience will say yep that's true yeah I think Harry Potter did that too where they were able to kind of get that to happen yeah. Um, but it's also knowing which characters not to throw away mm. that, that are like truly the the favorites and favorite moments. And they there is a great moment with Duncan Idaho. They show it in the movie in the 84 film too briefly. Like mm. what Duncan Idaho does in the novel is like freaking awesome. And mm -hmm. he basically holds off all these incredible warriors by himself so Paul can escape. Mm. And it's just it's the scene stealing moment of the movie. Yeah. Um, and in the books, um, you know, it, it is, there's a lot more going on. Like Duncan Idaho, Idaho isn't completely done yet. And if you read mm -hmm. do Messiah and, and some of the others, uh, he's, he's still in the story, even though you think he's dead. So, um, you know, that's an example. Like you can't, you can't just throw a scene like that away. You got to know <laughs> which scenes to keep in there. Yeah. yeah. Because that pleases the crowd. Right. And though that's, I think, Devin, that's kind of the answer to the question. It's like essence, but also knowing which scenes and characters to not throw away. Mm. And, and I think that's uh, key. Carl, I don't know about you. I mean, what do you mm. think about that? Well, I, I've been listening to some somebody talk about art lately and, and it's kind of its place in culture. And sometimes it's thought of as, you know, sometimes artists feel like, where do we fit in? Mm. And the problem with it is they, the guy kind of boiled it down to is when you live in a barter economy mm. um, instead of a gift economy, then if you're putting it out there to get something back, you've broken the art. Mm. An artist basically has to go out there and say, I'm going to create my art 
and I may have to have another job to support myself, yeah. mm. but I'm going to create my art and put it out there. And then it's truly art because it's what the vision of the person is. And it's not being encumbered by, well, what's the return on this by bookkeepers and accountants yeah. and stuff, Yeah. which why, but it, that works better if you're maybe recording a song. Okay. It's mm-hmm. different when you're trying to do $15 million budget in the middle <laughs> of the seventies and make a movie. So it's hard to, you know, you would have to have patrons. I mean, real patrons like, you know, in old times mm-hmm. that, would somehow say, "Hey, Jordorowski, yeah, mm-hmm. fifteen million, and I don't care if I have to see that money again because it's going to be a beautiful work of wow. art that will be there for time, and I want to be a part of that." So, right. that's hard to do on that scale, mm. and I think that's that's part of the reason too. And there's just you know, there's so much in like the book, like you said, they had to cut scenes for these characters. You you just cannot put that in a even two two and a half hour movie. You can't do right. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, maybe that's, you know, the filmmaker of the, the new iteration of Dune, Denis uh, Villeneuve, he, he, um, you know, he's split it. So mm. the Dune that's mm-hmm. about to come out in October is the first half of the novel. So I, I, mm-hmm. I guess he filmed a second half. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I guess I haven't. Been... I, I, I saw something saying, because the reviews are, again, sort of not overwhelmingly positive, but they're saying, he said, I guess with HBO and Warner that there's enough if there's enough good response through fans maybe through HBO Max if there's a good response maybe not necessarily box office success then yeah they have the backing to do the second one so I guess the wow. second one is not done maybe they oh, filmed wow. parts of it yet but it's wow. second one's not done yeah that's crazy to me but but I think that's mm-hmm. part of the the equation too is like having the room to take time like lord of the rings and even lord of the rings like they they still release the extended editions to try to flesh out this massive story right Mm -hmm. so um yeah i it's interesting just to think about like a lot of people have said it's the unfilmable novel dune Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and i I agree i mean there's a lot going on and david lynch uh, i i think he takes a swing but he fails ultimately at trying to have Mm. the characters narrate what's what they're thinking because there's so much internal in the book like right. people are thinking about what's going on it's really challenging i'm curious how this new dune will approach all that because that's hard to do and mm-hmm. um but here's the interesting thing is that david lynch who we all know today like he's well known in, in the world mm-hmm. of film i mean of course twin peaks i mean he was nominated before this movie of dune came out for the elephant man um, he's made some really interesting films. A lot of people think he's nuts. Uh, I think he's kind of crazy, <laughs> but that's why I love him so much. Um, you know, it made Mulholland Drive. I mean, he's just made some really crazy, bizarre things. But he wasn't the guy at first, at, at least when the film kind of got some more life in 1979. Um, Ridley Scott, famously, you know, a famous director, mm. made, you know, of course, The Martian, but then we know him from goodness kingdom of heaven alien and blade runner and that's where blade runner enters into the story ridley scott was ready to to go but blade runner came along there were some delays with dune and he took blade runner and dropped dune was that a huge miss on the part of the producers carl Ooh, i would say no it's not a huge miss and then basically reference back to our earlier discussion because it's the unfilmable movie to a degree yeah um i think he would have had the same problems um, and even to go to, uh, back to Jodorowsky's Dune, they're interviewing him and he's saying, he was like, I'm not going to go see Dune when 84 came out. I can't see it. Cause he says, I respect David Lynch. David Lynch is, a, is, uh, 
is talented. Mm. He's going to do what I wasn't able to do, and I'm going to sit there and be depressed. Wow. And he finally watched the movie. He finally watched the movie, and he's like happy. He's happy. <laughs> he says, this is terrible. I'm happy. Um, because, And he's like, not because David Lynch. He even goes back, not David Lynch's fault. David Lynch's talent. He goes, the producers, the producers. Mm. So um, it may have, right. now I guess, uh, do uh, Blade Runner was still going on at the time, or but you know if if Ridley Scott's first kind of foray into pop culture is this, maybe he fails, maybe he doesn't get the chance to make the other things that we respected mm-hmm. for. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it's probably maybe a, a blessing that maybe he didn't do it because it may have limited him in the future going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad he picked Blade Runner. Like I'm glad he went that direction because yeah. I, I I love Blade Runner. And it's interesting that Denis Villeneuve is made the sequel to Blade Runner and now he's kind of making this Dune mm. uh, project. So it's just fascinating stuff. Devin, are you okay with the fact that Ridley didn't make this or, or is this kind of like one of those misses in, in the history of film? It's like he would have probably done better. Yeah, I, well, I mean, sure. If we're playing with kind of like <laughs> no boundaries on this game, like I, right. who wouldn't want to see a Ridley Scott produced yeah. movie, period, full stop, <laughs> let alone something right. that, that's right. this epic. But but if it meant that we don't get things like Blade Runner, then, ah, you know, yeah. I if I had my choice to sit down on a cool, crisp autumn Saturday and either watch 84 Dune or almost anything by Ridley Scott, but especially the original Blade Runner, <laughs> I'm probably sitting down to watch Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's it's one of those things when you watch this Dune, um, there are some delightful '80s laugh out loud. Just what the hell am I watching? This yeah. is wonderful. Yeah. So you have that going on, but then uh, mm-hmm. there's another part of you, at least for me, where I watch it. And I'm like, oh, what a cast! Oh mm-hmm. wait, they didn't do this. Mm, oh no, right. they didn't do that. Like yeah. this, it's like you see the potential of what this film could be. And obviously, the film is controversial because the producers did interfere with David Lynch and what he was trying to do. Mm. And Lynch, at one point, just you know, famously was just like, "I just kind of let go and just let them meddle." And um, he rarely talks about the film. Wow. Um, I came across a um, a few years ago, Sean Young, who's mm. in the in the movie. Um, she had a Super Eight camera, an eight millimeter camera, and she filmed like. Um, or she, it was a 16 millimeter camera. She filmed like tons of stuff and she just put her, she narrated what she had filmed and talks about um, the film Dune and her experience. And what's interesting is you see all the actors, you see, you know, Lynch in the film, and everyone is so happy that they're there and able to collaborate together. Mm. And yet, you know how it turns out. And it's really this kind of, you have this feeling of oh what could have been you had all the right pieces you had a talented director an immensely mm-hmm. talented cast maybe yes. with the exception of of the lead sting. you know <laughs> well sting is actually okay to me like it's it's I love uh, sting but no <laughs> oh we're, we got we got some debates coming uh, but i uh, think uh, i think kyle mclaughlin is awful in this. Mm. but when i look at like you know um you know, Brad Dorf and Patrick Stewart and Linda Hunt and, you know, Freddie mm-hmm. Jones and Richard Jordan. And and I, I'm just like, oh, what could have been? And I, I just mm-hmm. really, I get sad. And so that's kind of what we're left. At least that's what I'm left with when I watch this Dune is it's delightfully in that watching 80s pop culture 
it's fun in that sense of just mm. like what a weird wreck this is but then in another you see what could have been it, it leaves you a little sad i think at least for me um does the cast is i i find the cast compelling what about you Devin? is that is the cast does anything jump out to you about the cast do you feel similarly to me like oh my gosh what a cast i i mean i think that there's definitely parts of that and it, right you're always when, when you're talking questions like this right we're getting into like Great cast, but are are they getting the most out of that actor, right? Whether it's because of dialogue or the way it's shot or whatever else. But yeah, I mean, I think overall the, there's some there's some highlights to this. And you know, it's funny sometimes when you go back and rewatch these films, you you actually find actors that are in there from other films that you probably didn't make those connections when you were younger and watched the film yeah. the first time. Right. <laughs> so as I'm watching this, I'm just like. Hey, I know that guy. And so <laughs> I, I'm not using this to mm -hmm. like in any way support the fact that I think this is a good cast, but more so like, oh, wait, that that Everett McGill guy, that's the guy from Heartbreak Ridge that's a total prick in the Marines. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and so for me, like, yeah, I think that there's some great cast picks. I think some of the actors probably weren't given, like I said, either the dialogue or the opportunity right. maybe to have their prowess shown. But for me, it was kind of fun just like seeing some of these, oh, I'll loosely call them B-level actors that I didn't really realize, character actors that I, I didn't really realize at the time who they were. Yeah. Yeah. Carl, how do you feel about the, the cast? I, mean, I, I love the cast. I was thinking the same thing you were, especially like, you know, when they come up and they're showing their pictures in the credits one by one and you're like, well, these are great. You know, how, yeah. how do we get this movie? I mean, even down to uh, uh, Alicia Witt, who was like the... Mm -hmm. uh, Alia or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, the little child, mm -hmm. and she grew up to be like in several things too, and yeah. and didn't recognize her back then, of course. But um, uh, you know, Jurgen Proschow, however you say his name, that played Leto, Duke Leto, mm -hmm. you know, had yeah. that German accent, which I yeah. loved. And he and Paul, they actually get a kind of. There's so much just exposition talking. There's really kind of little action, but then there, he his nobility is shown when they're saving the uh, workers from getting mm -hmm. uh, destroyed by one of the sandworms. Yeah. Um, and they're they're in an ornithopter. I don't know if y'all knew that. And they call them thopters <laughs> oh. for short in the yes. novel. Wow. Yes. And he's got that German accent that sounds like Arnold. And I was he was like, "Hurry up, get out!" And I'm thinking, "Oh no, he's get to the thopter!" You know. So <laughs> nice. I was waiting for that line. Nice. So I was like, nice. "I love that part of it." If but, only, if only that yeah. happened, the movie would have moved up a whole point. Yeah, though. yeah. But we, yeah. just let's just say if we did replace people, I mean, I just kind of was trying to. I looked at a list of 1984 actors yes. now that brought up the people who were in the movie 1984 but i kind of had to tweak that and yes. then it turned into like the highest grossing um you know what about robert redford as duke leto you yes know? Mm. That would jack good. jack nicholson maybe is the duke as a uh, duke leto wow and uh especially when he's got that gas tooth that he has the fake tooth yes. that he breaks yeah. and he might go you can't handle the tooth and then cracks that tooth open and <laughs> so that would be great <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, you listeners, don't, don't hang up, listeners. Don't, 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 don't stop the podcast. <laughs> what? Stay with what? us. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, there's people at that time like Jeff Bridges, Ed Harris, yeah. Scott Glenn. They could yeah. easily been either Gurney Halleck or Duncan Idaho. Think oh, about yeah. Christopher Walken as Peter DeVries, you know, the mentot for the Harkonnens yes. or something. Yes, yes. Then maybe Phoebe Cates for Chani. Uh, okay, no, you know, we got to stop there. We got to stop yeah. there. I can't. Okay. I can't go down that road. That well, that will. Um, that, well, how about? I but I can't talk about you that. hated you hated Paul. But what about Sean Penn? I mean, he's like Ooh. a good actor as, as Paul. Yeah, eighty four. Yeah, eighty four Penn. Wow. And and then maybe even Ray Walston as Thufor Holloway. And then I've realized 
I'm just doing the cast of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, putting it in Dune. So that's wonderful. Can, and and instead of being the good shot, the classically trained or you know serious Sean Penn, we have Spicoli, which you know, with the spice, yeah. you know, Spicoli's yeah. uh, uh, affinity no more hot for marijuana stuff. Out in so, the parking lot, right? Yeah, we're just doing spice yeah. up there. Nice. <laughs> nice. So let's just put Fast Times at Ridgemont High in space. I think that might have yes. actually been a more entertaining movie. This is wow. why you're the intern of interns, Carl. There you go. Yes. Yeah, that's, Thank you. That's- that's beautiful well let's let's take a break and when we come back we're gonna take a look at the movie dive into the movie a little bit and uh but first we have a very important um commercial for you all (laughs) spend all your time waiting hello listeners this is devin co-host of living in the past and I'm reaching out to you for your help to bring attention and awareness to one of the most overlooked challenges of our time. I'm talking about those suffering and afflicted from MODS. M-A-W-D-S. MODS or middle-aged white dude syndrome and the deep (laughs) chasm of midlife crises it causes. For the cost of a crappy cup of gas station coffee, you'll empower those afflicted with MODS the ability to continue to bring you quality content week in and week out. Plus, unlike other less generous people of the world, patrons of Living in the Past qualify for exclusive content, opportunities to vote, and even choose topics of future shows. Please don't let today pass before you generously contribute to a cause that brings life and laughter to the world. Join others as a living in the past patron and help alleviate the ongoing afflictions of mods everywhere. <laughs> uh, I got to wipe the tears away from I, my eyes. Here, I just, Devin. where do I sign up? It's beautiful. <laughs> oh. Yeah. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash living in the past l-i-v-i-n-i-n the past and uh mm-hmm. just you know help help um help us deal with our our mods our affliction our affliction uh, yes, yes. <laughs> affliction. i think we should at least uh, with our affliction we should at least get some like yeah i mean help us help help our yeah, I... help our wives if for nothing else dear listeners <laughs> pony up because you feel sorry for our wives yeah um yeah, they, they need help desperately, desperately. Um, so it's the year 10,191. Yeah, it is. Um, in Dune, <laughs> in a subject called, a uh, substance called spice. Yeah. Uh, is universally coveted because it extends life, expands consciousness, and enables interstellar travel. This is like the greatest drug ever, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, Devin. I, I, Devin, would you buy spice? If well, this is what it could do. Listen, Jeremy. When I sit down and think of sporty, posh, baby ginger, and scary <laughs> spice, <laughs> I just have to say, if you want to be my lover, first you got to be with me. Um, <laughs> yes, that is probably the thing that I find most compelling about spice are are those five ladies and their iconic rhythm, beat, and vocal harmony. <laughs> 
Um, you, you do know we're talking about the spice in Dune, right? Uh, well, I, I thought if we're bringing Fast Times Original High into space, we can bring the spice oh, into space, right. too. I mean, <laughs> if there was ever a, how, how would NBC put it, a, a, an NBC crossover event, um, I, I think that that would be it. If we've got Spicoli... And and the Spice Girls all in one intergalactic spot. Um, yeah, I might need to log off early actually and kind of jot a few <laughs> items down and maybe kind of trademark <laughs> this idea I've got here. Yeah, what is it about spice though? Because that, that's that's actually like it's it's a thing in science fiction, science fantasy films, and I don't. I guess that's just <laughs> like who was the first one to even come up with? Um, we don't really have drugs in space, so let's just call it spice. Um, I, I don't know. It's 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 intriguing to me. It's intriguing to me that it that is just kind of woven into so many science fiction, science fantasy things. And and so why not? It seems like a great fit. Of course, who doesn't love spice? <laughs> you know, and what's interesting about the spice of Dune, not the spice of Star Wars right. or any other right. spice that we're talking about. Not pumpkin spice. spice but- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this, you know, this spice could do everything. It, it enhances life. Yeah. It, it it helps you travel through space quickly. Um, but we got a problem. Oh. It only exists on Arrakis or Dune, a barren planet inhabited by these blue-eyed freemen, these oh. humans that, with blue eyes, oh. and also gigantic worms. Ooh. Carl, is this compelling stuff to you? Just the way it starts, <laughs> just the the concept of spice and what it can do, and only the only place that it can be found. Is this like, yes, I'm in. I'll watch you for the next two hours and twenty minutes. Um, I, I, I mean, it's when the way you put it, no, but uh, you know, <laughs> when you, you know, and that's 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 part of the problem with Dune. Yeah. It's and this is uh, this is a question I want to put out there. I guess you know, there's people who read it and saw it, and mm-hmm. there's people who didn't read it and mm-hmm. saw it. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine that in the latter category of not reading it and seeing it that you enjoy the movie. But maybe I would like to hear from those people. Yeah, uh, I think yeah. my my enjoyment from the movie comes from filling in the gaps that they left out. It's mm-hmm. like okay, I, they're putting something that is in my mind on screen, and then I got to put in all the details to help it make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Yeah, Spice, the way that he brings it up in the novel and, and just kind of the feelings of it and all the different things it does. And you put in the in the notes that the Navigator was a monster. The Navigator's a person. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. kind of, I don't know if people got that from watching the movie. Did you realize that's a person who's, yeah. that's one thing that can happen when you do Spice, you know, too much Spice. It, yes, it opens your mind, but it deforms your body and all this yes. other stuff. So mm, yeah. anyway, um, it's interesting to me and in that way and a lot of the stuff you know it it really almost takes the place of oil i guess if you're talking about writing this in the 60s and 70s right. if you put it in our in our our world dune being desert middle eastern places that have are oil rich but yep. you know are hard places to live and and so you just know it's kind of standing in the place of but it's more interesting mm-hmm. to be something that can transform the human body and mind and open your mind as opposed to just a source of energy yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's you know, you know, going back to your your question, just to like, you know, read the book first or watch the movie first. You know, I saw the movie first, then read the book. My experience was like, yeah, the movie was kind of crazy. That was a weird movie. Like that's kind of how I viewed it. <laughs> yeah. And then when I read the book, I was like, I was obviously older. I was in my, I think I was in my early twenties, and I just remember thinking, 
This is a really good book. Mm. <laughs> it's a mm. really good novel with a lot of interesting ideas going on in it. There's some complexities to the novel. The movie doesn't even come close to it. And I guess, if anything, the movie just gave me some visuals to help my imagination as I read the book. Um, but the book experience, and if you've never read it, it might be like audience. It might be worth checking out because it, it's a really fascinating book. I did read a few of the sequels. They're not as interesting to me, but but that first Dune novel is really compelling. And sadly, I think the movie kind of diminishes that. And I think mm. it might even scare people away. And hopefully this new iteration that's coming out will will cause people to like, I'll check it out. I'll check the book out. So I don't know. Um, the movie is interesting because you you start off with so much. And I don't know about you guys, but you have you have the Spacing Guild, you have Arrakis, this desert planet, you have Caladan, where that's where Duke Leto Atreides is from. You have Getty Prime, that's where, you know, the Harkon Harkonnens are. Like, you have all of these places. You have the Emperor, too, and, you know, you have the Guild, and you have Navigators, and I, I tell you what, it's so much so fast. For mm -hmm. you, Devin, was this just, like, was it just was it interesting was it cool was it convoluted is is doing just the movie weighed down by just out of the gate it's just everything whereas like a film like star wars you start off with luke on tatooine and it's slow you discover the world along with luke whereas mm. this it's just a vomit on us of all this information <laughs> I, how do you feel about? I mean, Devin, is that is that okay? Are you like, yeah, I like I like figuring all this out. It's okay for me, or is it? Are you with me? Is this pretty just insane? <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. You mentioned space. You mentioned space worms, and I was just trying to buy some ivermectin on Amazon. Um, <laughs> uh, just go to the co-op. That's yeah. what we do. Stuff. <laughs> um. Okay, so it's funny that you bring Star Wars as a comparison, right? Because, yes, if we're talking about the original Star Wars, we are exploring and discovering the world along with the hero. But but I, I had this overwhelmed WTAF feeling when we see episode one of Star Wars when we're talking about, you know, uh, trade routes and, and all this crap. And so I, I think that... Those that are not familiar with the book and come in with like no context of who the characters are, or what the situation is, I I think it's a little tough. Like you, you definitely you, you're hitting the ground running. Um, there was <laughs> there was a a film that was released. I want to say on Amazon Prime, The Tomorrow War, just recently. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what's interesting is as uh, I'm hoping this isn't a spoiler, uh, but as the 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 soldiers are kind of put into this this time loop wormhole thing they literally hit the ground running and they're like in the middle of this battle there's no warm-up phase right they're completely right. discombobulated and i i confess that like i still kind of feel like that with with dune the 84 version at least because like oh i need some time to not only kind of figure out where i am in this story but as always when we're dealing with science fiction science fantasy is We've got all kinds of strange names that that don't sound like right. you know names that we would normally say at least here in California and and so I'm just like okay I, I got to match the names to the faces and realize who who's part of the story and 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 whose side they're on and all that so I think for me 
yes, that that part deserves a couple of rewatches just to kind of, I guess, take my anxiety down a little bit so I can become more familiar with the story. Because I am one that didn't read the books. Shocking, I know. Um, but <laughs> but having said that, I, I think that, yeah. But the flip side of that coin, though, and this goes back to what we talked about earlier, Jeremy, is if, if you don't do that in a film that has this long of a runtime, how else are you going to do it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's your only it might be the only option. In right, fact, right. you start off with all this introduction, but even right before that, you have Virginia Madsen who plays Princess Aurelian. <laughs> yeah. She like yeah. has like a four minute narration yeah. that's just it's just like Jeremy, uh, you know your call. Four minute narration in June in Dune versus the eleven minute flashback in Bloodsport. Your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going Bloodsport, baby, all the way. Give me bad Van Damme and bad child actor of Frank Dukes any oh, day man. of the week. I, it's just, you know, you have this narration, then you have all this introduction. And it is like, could you imagine? I mean, I, I had friends in college that would smoke a substance and then watch oh. watch the movie wow. because it was just so bonkers you know right at the beginning <laughs> and there and, and maybe that's what it's for so if you smoke <laughs> pot this might be your movie it's legal jeremy but, uh, it's legal yeah it is hey in some corners in alabama <laughs> you're gonna die but in california <laughs> smoke away smoke away uh, you know you go from just that introduction of all these different houses planets you know you get an idea of the spice. They, they at least they get that across, but then the spacing guild is this, obviously it's this powerful organization that controls space travel. Um, they, they basically, what happens is they have a recommendation, um, that, you know, basically we got to do something about Paul, um, the son of the of Duke Leto, and you kind of go from there, where the Emperor has this big convoluted setup to destroy the House of Trades. He brings in the Harkonnens. The Emperor brings in the Harkonnens to help bring that about, and you're off and running. And still, it's like, what the hell is going on? And what's what's weird to me about the beginning of Dune is that you have all this crazy setup, and you actually. I think you get to Dune at what almost an hour in. You get to Arrakis at like yeah. forty minutes to an hour. Like it, it's a long time, and it still felt rushed. Mm. Uh, Carl, did you feel that way? Like just kind of this rush to get to Arrakis, and still you needed more time just to kind of set everything up. Yeah, I mean, and just rewatching it recently, I forgot how long it took to get to that that part of the movie, and I was even thinking that the death of Leto is kind of a small thing because it's really sets in motion yeah. the journey of Paul and his, uh, and the lady Jessica, his mother. Um, and you just, that's like halfway through the movie and yeah. you finally get yeah. kind of that attack and that stuff going. And I'm thinking, yeah. you know, cause th- to me, the meat of the story is what happens after that to change, to change Paul into who he becomes yeah. and how they overthrow the, uh, the oppressors on Dune. And that, that is even more rushed because yeah. they've spent, so, they, they did sort of want to, like you said, they had that four minute introduction. Cause it's like, okay, here's a, here's a blank slate. We're putting it down. So you got sort of like what's going on. Now we're going to rush through this, but we're even going to take that a little bit slow. So you see sort of the nuances of this political system. And then, Okay, Paul Paul changes into this uh, Messiah type figure, but boom. Okay, that, that, just yeah. trust me, it happened mm. and it's over. <laughs> you know, uh, you know. 
Yeah, I just have a few dreams where your dream tells you you're the Messiah mm-hmm. and you're off and running. That's a little troubling, by the way. <laughs> um, that Paul has a dream. Mm, His yeah. dream tells him he's the Messiah. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I'm the Messiah. Yeah. Um, I think the author and maybe filmmaker is trying to say something, but uh, <laughs> it, it's it, it's interesting. You know, you have, all right, Paul Atreides, the, Kyle MacLachlan's character, central figure of the film. Um, he's a threat and he needs to die. And, you know, you have got the, the I think you pronounce it, Bene, Bene Gesserit, I think, is the name of the sisterhood. I, I, Carl, I, I don't know. I said Bene Gesserit, but Bene, you know, I yeah, don't know. maybe. I don't, I don't know. I, but like, there's this sisterhood that basically, right? They're like witches in the story, but they kind of early on in the film, and it's actually one of the most memorable moments of the early parts of the book, where mm-hmm. they kind of test Paul to see like, what are you made of, mm. and. Uh, he has to put his hand in this box where it feels like his hand is going to melt away, and he has to like psychologically overcome the 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 anguish that he's going through. Of course, he does that, um, you know. And so early on in the story, it's like, whoa, Paul's special, you know. He also has a little fight mm-hmm. scene moment early on by one of his um, kind of mentors, and in the book, mm-hmm. he has like three like like memorable mentors that that are that are in this new iteration played by um you know some pretty like jason momoa is one of them playing duncan idaho and then you you have uh, the guy that played thanos is the other one i can't mm. even remember his name um josh brolin yeah brolin is playing the other you know that the patrick stewart characters what who josh mm-hmm. brolin plays so you have like these memorable characters but they're kind of brushed aside really quickly that was such a key like part of the book and so if you're if you've read the book and you're looking at this it's just like what the heck is going on all the good stuff is just kind of being glossed over it for explaining you know the nuances of everything like mm. who's on what planet and stuff like and stuff like that one thing is clear though is that you have this this kind of theme develop early on in the movie between religion and power mm. um and Dune is really one of the first science fiction novels to address like just religion, just issues of religion. And I think if anything about Dune that I really enjoy both the movie and obviously the novel is that Frank Herbert's kind of what he's dealing with his conception of the future that Dune, you know, has this feudal system. You have dukes and barons, but religion is still controlling things. And I think that's an interesting and compelling theme because in our world today, we do have religion and religious ideas sort of pushing on our political systems. Uh, whether you're in the Middle East, whether you're in the United States, um, those are very present things. I find that stuff compelling. Mm. Um, Carl, is that something that, that you find compelling or is it is it just too muddled in both the, both the movie, but, but also the, the novel to really make those clear connections. I mean, I, I like it. And because it it sort of sets Dune apart from a lot of other, not all, but a lot of other science fiction, you know, um, you know, Star Wars has it also, but most of the time it is like, well, we're going to grow past this. Science will deliver us past these uh, myths, these superstitions, these things that people, created to deal with a world they didn't understand. And the thing about Dune is like, 
again, reading the book, you understand why they have these men taught these men tant uh, characters mm-hmm. who were like mm-hmm. thinking computer, like men mm-hmm. computers, yes. because yes. you know what we haven't told in the movie was there was. Uh, they had been artificial intelligence computers, things in the past. They yes. revolted. They sort of, so it was like, ooh. And, you know, and, and again, you start thinking, okay, did that lead to what the Terminator movie and all that other stuff? So you kind of <laughs> yeah. think about yeah. these these little germs that are just sort of the history, the world building that he put in there. But there's a reason for needing the spice to space travel because mm. we, technology has failed us. We don't trust science anymore to be the ultimate deliverer. So we're going to mm. go back to this. There is science, but not not so far that it could overthrow us, take us over, eliminate us, and mm. then we're going to also have this spiritual side of our to be, I guess, more well balanced. Uh, mm. So, and I appreciate that. I think that's yeah. a great kind of theme that could be in a lot of different movies and places. Yeah, yeah. Devin, what are your thoughts? Well, I, listen. I mean, I, I think that you, both of you touched on this nicely, and, and I think that one of the things that's compelling about these themes is once again it's relatable right it, it's it's almost as if when, when we see this stuff that it has a reflection of some of our own struggles whether that's in the present whether that's in the past or both when we see it in this artistic form it often gives us new insights into how we're viewing it in our real lives and so i think that that's why whether it's this film or you talk about the the, the religious or spiritual side of things like star wars things like that it's because one, I think that as as spiritual beings, that we we are drawn to things like that is in part of our DNA. We're we're absolutely hardwired to ask questions like that, and and then I think again, it it brings us to a situation where we're gaining as viewers insight into something that seems very familiar with us, and yet we're we're allowed as viewers to or readers in the case of Dune, to, to see it through a different lens, which allows us sometimes, sometimes, to get a different perspective on how we're viewing it in our own worldview in the here and now. So yeah, th- of course, this is what, what makes this and, and some of the themes so successful in, in Dune and, and other films that use those, those themes. Yeah. So in the film, you have this setup. You have, you know, these this religious order of, of women um, where Paul is this rare case um, because he's a man that he's able to to withstand the the test where he puts his hand in the box and and so there's something going on so you have this kind of religious kind of undertone going through the film you have the establishment of the family the Atreides family Paul his father um, his father has a um, one of these you know uh, Bene Gesserit or Bene Gesserit or whatever they're called. Um, these nuns, these sis- the sisterhood. Paul's mother is the concubine to his father, mm. but she's one of these. Her name's Lady Jessica. There's a lot of talk about um, the performance of the actress in the new film, that she is really kind of the heart and soul of the film. Um, that, and I find the character in the novel to be that. Um, and so she's sort of kind of helping usher Paul along, giving him the training to be like this sisterhood, this kind of order of witches in some ways. Mm. So you have all that established, and then you shift all the way over to the Harkonnens, who are, you know, you have the Baron and all of his, like, cronies. And yes, this is when you when you see Fade, who is played by Sting, and basically they have this scene where they, this kind of disgusting, um, <laughs> gross scene where the Baron basically talks about his plan. He tells the audience, this is what I'm going to do to 
the Atreides family. Um, you guys can comment whatever you want on Sting, on, on whatever, about this kind of sequence in the Harkonnens in general. But I find the Baron to be one of the most disgusting designs in science fiction history. Whoa. Um, but that's not bad. I mean, it, it's kind of compelling, and you kind of want to... It's repulsive, but you're like, I can't look away. Um, was that a good decision? Because there's a, a very different design in the in the current film uh, that will be coming out. They just released a scene on YouTube where you can go watch um, the new Baron in this new uh, movie. But, but I man, there's something about this gross... Um, you know, Baron Harkonnen that, that I, I find disgusting, but I'm also like, I'm, I'm a little bit compelled by it. Um, I, I don't know what that says about me, but, um, Devin, can you take over before I reveal too much? Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so for those of you that are not familiar with this, I, I think Jeremy, if I'm understanding what you, what you're getting to is if you haven't seen the, the 84 version, it, it, this character is, grossly obese we've got yeah. uh, it's just somewhere between like i don't know warts and 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 leperism yeah. and and boils all over his body and stuff um jeremy let me tell you why you're wrong um <laughs> jeremy you're wrong because in Please. 1984 the year the film came out lj in toys actually produced wait for it but baron harkonnen action figures for the kiddies. Oh, no. So <laughs> Google search is commencing right now. Oh. So who, who, if, if it's who good would enough buy for, that for their <laughs> If it's good enough for kids to play with in their imaginary um, little oh. play lives, um, then Jeremy, it's good enough oh for you. Oh my gosh, I just looked it up. You're not lying. <laughs> what the hell? This is glorious. Yes. Um, oh my gosh. So <laughs> <laughs> is there a heart plug? Does it come with a heart plug like the Kung Fu uh, grip on G.I. Joe? It's, it? it's hard to tell, but uh, let me just say, <laughs> holy cow, this is beautiful. <laughs> anyway, so Jeremy, you are wrong in this case. Um, if, if it's good enough for kids, it's good enough for me, darn it. And uh, I love this character. I look at that character and say, I, I can identify. I can identify with this character. Wow. Um, I would just wow. say, uh, first of all, when I saw David Lynch's name, got forgotten in the past. That it was him. It was like, well, where, David Lynch, this is really not his speed. And then it's like, oh, Harkonnens. That's, yeah, that's Lynch right there. Yeah. But I think it's subtle, but I think we do see they actually do care about other people. Mm. Um, mm. I don't know if y'all guys noticed. I mean, did you see the haircut that everybody had? Yeah, the little I mean, like, shave right yeah. down the... Yeah. Is the, they all had red hair, and there was a missing strip of hair shaved down the middle. Yeah. I think they actually grew that out for locks of love for punk rockers mm. and you know like Mr. T people who had cancer and had mohawks, and wow. you know and so I think that they donated that hair for those people so they would still feel you know good about themselves and not have to go out there wow. without that. That's good. What a hot take, Carl. That was um, beautiful, man. Yeah, I love it. And just for you, for you collectors out there, by the way, the um, Baron Harkonnen action figures on eBay are going for. Um, if you want one in the package, it's going for anywhere from around uh, one hundred and fifty dollars and up, depending on the condition you want. So, mm. Jeremy, don't sleep on the collectible action figures. Don't sleep on those. Mm. There is this odd part of me. 
<laughs> that I'm like, I, I need to go. I, I found one loose on eBay oh. while, while you guys were talking. Oh. I wasn't listening to a word mm. you guys were saying. <laughs> but I found I found one loose on eBay for about 50 bucks. Oh, Probably by the by once this episode releases, yeah. guys, we'll we'll probably push that that nice way up nice. there, you know. But but you know, <laughs> it's out there. It's out Love there it. loose. You don't even have to have it in the packaging because everyone will want to play with everyone. You know, the only thing that would make it better though is you remember in like the the probably late seventies, early eighties, where they had like the stretch Armstrong figures that were filled with that gel. Yeah. Give me the Baron Harkonnen <laughs> action figure that feels mushy and has that gel feeling, and boy, it oozes. I it oozes. I might just have to uh, take a little bit out of the retirement nest egg to pony up for that guy. Wow. And just just a side note, <laughs> he's in that condition because of a Bene Gesserit. We don't go into that, but just you know, he's in Thank that you. condition. See, yeah, yeah. Carl the intern. Devin, once we made again. a really good decision to bring yeah. Carl on. Today. It's mm. true. Our fans are like Carl. Have your own podcast. We'll fund that. Forget these guys. <laughs> Forget these two morons. <laughs> um, uh, announcement coming up later. <laughs> um, so the Atreides finally, an hour into the film, they arrive on Arrakis. Um, Duncan Idaho shows up, my favorite character in Dune. He's in the movie for five minutes, maybe less. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. He reports that the Freeman, and in the book, like Duncan is, is basically establishing relationships with the Freeman. He's such a badass that the Freeman sort of take him in and trust him. Um, even though the Freeman in general are mistrustful and mm. they're secretive, but, um, so, so there's this kind of a, he's kind of that initial wave of, you know, the, 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 the travel and moving in that's about to take place. He's kind of leading that. So they, they, you, you're introduced to Duncan, uh, you hear about the Freeman. Paul talks about them earlier in the film that they have blue eyes, but, um, you 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 meet the doctor, Doctor. Um, I think it's Kynes who basically um, guides uh, you know the men's spacecraft to a spice mine. So you literally get to Arrakis. You get to kind of a memorable scene of the book where they go out and you're really introduced to a worm for the first time, mm. and mm. Paul's father, the Duke basically risks their lives to save these people that are mining spice because as they mine, they make noise. The noise attracts the worm. Uh, the worm is coming. It's not just a teeny tiny worm. This thing is gigantic skyscraper size. Um, and so what should rescue these men isn't there to rescue the men. And so the Duke leaps into action. And you kind of see, like, Carl, you even mentioned this earlier, kind of the nobility and this whole sacrifice of the Duke. Um, to save his men, even though it might cost him millions um, by mm-hmm. losing this miner, this big machine. Um, I love that. I actually, of the movie itself, I find that sequence to be really interesting and compelling. Um, I don't know, Carl, what, what did you think about that scene? And then, of course, we got coming up after that, we have the, you know, the hunter-killer scene. Mm-hmm. But but first, let's talk about, like, that whole sequence of rescuing the people out mining. Did you like that? Is it a decent setup? Is it one of the few bright spots in the movie? I mean, it's all that, yes. And the, it's basically kind of what I said earlier. Yeah. It's nothing, This movie is nothing but exposition. It's like, right, right. these things happened, mm. so we made them happen on the screen, but we didn't give you any kind of detail of what they meant or build up to it. It's happened, 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 happened. <laughs> We're telling you, watch this. 
Yeah. You know, it's the one thing, and and you know more about movies and stuff than I do. You know that kind of the rule is show, don't tell. Yeah. And this movie tells everything. Yeah. And this is the one of the few scenes. And, and Baron Harkonnen might be sort of the other, where they show, mm-hmm. okay, we're showing you. We're not telling you. Duke Leto's great. Baron Harkonnen's evil. Move on. You know, they yeah. show you those things. Mm-hmm. And so if the movie could have done this, like you say, there just wasn't time to do it. Now, I would say... and. You know, this is where, you know, when we were younger, movies were the bigger medium. Television was the lesser medium. And and that was just the way television did. Television wanted you to be able to come and go, not necessarily watch every show in in order. So every show was like you just you the the characters were very static. They never changed. So you came in five episodes you missed. You're still fine today. They don't do that, and I think it's made it better. The serialism of yeah. television shows now, ser- now TV and streaming services shows, however you want to call it, those episodic shows are really kind of taken over. And you think about, like, we watched The Queen's Gambit. I didn't know that was a book, but that was a great series. And they're not going to do more, I don't think, because I don't think there was no. more books. But they don't have to. They did the mm-hmm. book. But if they had tried to make that into a two-hour, hour and a half, whatever movie. You could have hit the high points, but you wouldn't have got... Like, my wife at the end of that movie was cheering. So you're not going to get invested in these characters. This property, Dune, I would say other things like maybe even do something with The Matrix. Do th- You can do so much more if you say seasons and, you know, yeah. Stephen King's The Dark Tower, terrible movie. You could right. take, you mm. need time. And if these streaming services would, in HBO Max, they do a lot of, they put a lot of money into things. You Somebody could do these things correctly. It's just going to take time and money. Right, right. And I do think I had heard early on in the in the new film of Dune that they were wanting to to spin it off into a show because there's a lot of mm-hmm. like there's a lot more to the IP than just this movie that will come out in you know October. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of hinting at you know what visual storytelling can really be successful when you're trying to retell a a novel. Mm. Um, I think movies might work just fine if it's just, if it's an original idea concept based on just an original screenplay, but adaptations Mm -hmm. because of what TV's doing, um, movie adaptations are becoming harder and harder and harder to do because you have it juxtaposed to what's going on in your Netflixes and your HBO Maxes and your Hulus and so on and so forth. You have like these eight, 10 episode seasons that are telling better stories, frankly, because they have the time. Mm -hmm. And, and I think this is a very, very early version of this mistake of you're cramming so much into such a Mm -hmm. little, little bit of time that you have to, you make this horrible mistake of just exposition. Mm. Like, this is what's going on, you know? Yeah. And then you have this moment where they, you know, where the Duke rescues these people and you're like, oh, this is kind of cool. And you kind of get what Dune could be in mm. this moment. I, I don't know, Devin, what, what are your thoughts just on that sequence and how it relates to the film as a whole? Yeah. So uh, let me unpack a little bit of this and then kind of yeah. parts of the, of the previous conversation. And I think that that's one thing that, you know, I've been a big fan of series, especially when they've been produced by the streaming services. And I think that when we're looking at epics like this, I am okay. Like we don't we don't need per se a Dune movie or a Star Wars movie or a Lord of the Rings movie. But I think we're seeing a trend, understanding that so long as we're not we're not either watering down the stories or we're not, I guess, trying to 
um, take the IP and, and just milk it for everything it's got. I, I think that there's value in taking something like a Dune and breaking it up into a series that might run the course of 10 episodes or, or however else. And I think it, it's those formats that are going to allow these, these blockbuster um, titles such as Dune, such as Lord of the Rings, such as Star Wars to really have longevity and be introduced to, to new fans as well as actually rewarding the fans that have been there since the beginning. So I, I think that's the first thing. The, the other thing, yeah, I, it's, it's easy to kind of go along with your ideology there, Jeremy, where when we're looking at this um, on, on the whole, I, I think that we, we naturally are craving for every bit of it and we want every bit of it to be the best it possibly can be. Absolutely. So the movie is just, it just continues. You have this moment where it's almost like signs of life in the movie is this sequence where uh, you're introduced to the worms, you're introduced more to the setting of Arrakis. Um, but then it kind of falls back into the trap that it, it's, you know, um, that it's made for itself. But before that happens, you have kind of this, the, the hunter killer droid, uh, which is basically like a uh, like a, s- a cylinder that has a needle on it that um, detects movement and strikes whatever's moving. Uh, that's a pretty cool, interesting scene. Wonderful moment in the book, um, and and Paul's able to defeat it. Um, it. It's a really in the the way it reads in the book. It's a really tense sequence. Um, Paul, I think in the book is actually in bed, but he's not asleep. He can't sleep, and that's when he notices it come out of the wall in the movie. He's like standing up in his room, but. Uh, regardless, that's a pretty cool sequence, but then you fall into just kind of exposition, exposition, and then you get to the big mm-hmm. overthrow moment where um, the Harkonnens attack, and there's betrayal, there's the fake tooth uh, that the Baron is 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 basically, he's shot with like this poisonous dart that basically paralyzes him. He'll eventually die uh, at the hands of the Harkonnens, but um, he is given this tooth that's poisonous if he bites down on it and breathes mm. it will he'll expel this poison he's supposed to kill um you know um the baron harkonnen in his last moments and so you have some really cool ideas in the midst of just kind of weirdness and just confusion and you basically have the atreides family gets overthrown and i don't know about you but in that whole sequence and and Devin and Carl, I'll just throw this out to whoever wants to answer it. I mean, you have the overthrow of the Duke and his family. Is there anything in that whole sequence from the, you know, from the Duke having the poisonous tooth, the betrayal, the action sequences, the arrival of the Harkonnens? There's a lot that happens. Um, is there anything that, like, you're like, yeah, this here is, this is good. I enjoyed this. Yay, Dune. <laughs> Crickets. Yay, Crick- no, I- cricket sound effect. <laughs> um, ask the last part again because I got swept up in your commentary as you tried to fold the question. <laughs> yeah, I'm good that way. <laughs> I'll, I, I'll just I'll just answer okay. to say that it's uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you, Doctor Doctor Ua. I mean yeah. that character, his betrayal and his reasoning. Um, you just kind of say, okay, this is where, you know, who, because Duke Lido is so beloved and such a great uh, 
leader of his people opposed to the Harkonnens that who would betray him, who would do it. So, you, you know, they tell us there's someone inside. We don't know who it is. It's UA the doctor. And it's um, his reasoning is he, he wants to have Harkonnen killed so badly that that's, this is his only way to get close to him. So mm-hmm. he did it. So it's like, you don't like say, hmm, I don't like that reasoning, but who knows if I was pushed to that sort of hatred and revenge. Cause he still sort of is like, I will still, I will help, Jessica and Paul escape, and they will live, and that's how I'm going to pay you back. And UA pays with his own life, probably knowing that that's going to happen too. Mm. But all this just to have a chance to kill this person. So that was, you know, kind of interesting as far as you know character development, which you really don't have in this movie, which really helps you get involved and emotionally attached to to stories. Uh, that's one aspect that of that part that mm. I liked. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask this, Jeremy. In your opinion, was this was this the satisfying? Conclusion that you were hoping for as a reader slash viewer. Um, just the the conclusion for 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 what? Yeah, this part that we're talking about right now. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did the events that take place in this segment of the film? Did, did I guess maybe let me ask it this way? Do the events that take part in this part of the film take place in this part of the film? Do they do the book justice? Was it satisfying to you as a reader of the novel to see this part and how it was done in the film? It was, it's, it, I think anyone that has read the book finds this moment so dissatisfying. Mm. Um, I think for just someone that's just watching the movie, it's like, oh, action, blowing up stuff. Yeah. Poison <laughs> tooth. Like, just, you know, it's like, okay, it's just a, in some weird ways, besides some like creepy and strange visuals, it's, it is a paint by the numbers kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but thank, thank God David Lynch has a flair for the visual and like, just oddities that, kind of keep you in the movie yeah, uh, or mm-hmm. at least keep you watching. Um, the book is so compelling and, mm-hmm. you know, everything that Carl talked about with, with UA, who's this, this um, he's kind of pledged to the house of trades, but he's um, betrays them. Like all of his internal um, struggles with what has happened. His wife was murdered right. by the Harkonnens. This is his chance for vengeance. That's really compelling. Uh, in the novel, and I hope they go into that in this new film because it's it you can hang your hat on some of that mm. that that brings about really interesting drama, and you also have the fall of the duke, which in the book is tense as he's starting to figure out, and there is so much that happens on Arrakis before you get to this. There's a big yeah. dinner scene in the novel where. Jessica is starting to notice there's some separation between her and the and the Duke. She's concerned. There's a there's a knowledge of a betrayer, and so there's moments where they're trying to figure out who the betrayer is. And right. Jessica's getting closer and closer to figuring it out, but just because of her powers, um, you have so much build up to this moment. Yeah, and it pays off in amazing ways. It is a fast paced, tense moment. I like in this section of Dune to the Minds of Moria and the Fellowship of the Ring. Wow. It's like you can't, you can't stop the chapters. you you got to finish what's happening. And it, it's very similar in that way. It, I think that it's this moment as a reader that hooks the, the, the reader. And they're like, I'm in all the way to the end. This is amazing. I'm super, I'm finding it very compelling. Um, at least that's where, that's how I feel. I think a lot of the readers would feel mm. similarly. This is a really... The world building is continuing, but 
but it, human drama is starting to happen here, and it's really, really yeah. compelling stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, Carl, do you feel? I mean, how do you feel about that? Oh, I mean, I totally agree. It's yeah. It, it's difficult as a reader of the book to say that, that they do a good job through that part. But when you compare that part to the rest of the movie, just in the movie, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 so it's, it's sort of a mm. dichotomy of yeah. there's some good in it compared to one thing, but it's yeah. such a letdown compared to the other. Right. Absolutely. So you go from the betrayal, Paul, his mother, Jessica, they sort of escape. Um, they're taken out into the desert to be killed um, or to be left for the worms, basically. And they're able to, Paul uses the voice of um, this, like, this sisterhood, basically, this, this mm -hmm. magical power where he can use his voice to, to control. Um, he gets his mom free. His mom actually knows how to use this. She's, she's, she's a witch, basically. And she's able to free them. And uh, it's a pretty neat scene in the movie. The book, it's really compelling. But they escape. They join up with the Freeman. It's in this where you feel like you're on a roller coaster going down. And on your mm -hmm. way down on the roller coaster, there's a novel you have to read while you're dropping. Because <laughs> it's wow. just like, you know, they're yeah. in billboards as you're dropping down. You're like, I can't read that. I can't read that. Because you find out Paul's a messiah. <laughs> you, you find out mm -hmm. Jessica is, you know, uh, she's now the the kind of the i think you call it it's the mother reverend or the, mother reverend mother she becomes a reverend mother that uh, is by the way no not yeah that's not close to sister christian by the way i just want to throw it <laughs> <right. laughs> oh. oh my gosh but it's so much and and then basically paul's like he's the messiah he learns how to ride a worm he trains the freeman how to fight this is all like in the last yeah. 40 minutes of the movie, you know, uh, trains like them all two fight. years. Yeah. <laughs> two years worth of stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's just so crazy, but it all is building to this big showdown at the end of the film. Um, and I, I don't know in the notes, I'm just like, this is too fast. This is too fast. What's going on. Um, we've been talking about this idea throughout the, uh, uh, you know, throughout our review of this film. I, I don't think we can say any more than it's just, mm -hmm. It's just so much material, and the crazy thing is it's good material, mm. but they're mm -hmm. cramming it into two hours and 18 minutes, yeah. and it just doesn't work. But we we have something we need to talk about, guys. Oh. What's that? And that's Sting. Ah. Uh. Um, <laughs> I, I think Sting might be one of the most beautiful men of 1984. Wow. And apparently David Lynch thought that, too. Wow. Because mm. uh, in his entrance earlier in the film, he was supposed to come out butt-naked, uh, but the producers were like, no, let's put this blue thong on him. And so you have Sting prancing around in the film. As Fade, does he is he a compelling character? I don't know who's cast as Fade in this new movie, but he's kind of important because he's this mm -hmm. character that plays off of Paul. He's like he could he's also being groomed as a Paul type figure. Mm. Um but what did you guys think of Sting, Devin? What did you think about Sting in Dune? Wow. Well, when you set it up that way, Jeremy, with a blue thong and all, um, <laughs> feeling pretty emasculated, to be honest with you. Um, so it, it's always kind of this exercise in, um, I don't know, what is the exercise? It's, it's, it's kind of like trust, hope, maybe. It's an exercise in hope. Whenever right, we, right. We, we bring, like, rock stars into cinema <laughs> right right 
Um, I, I, I think that Sting's um, portrayal of the character, I, I think it, I think it's in line with some of the other acting that went on within this movie. So, like, I, I, <laughs> I, I can't bag on Sting per se, but like, I, I he's not going to get nominated for any uh, Academy mm. Awards for this. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's fun to see him there. It's fun to see him there, though, right? Let's, whenever we're, we're seeing <laughs> I, folks uh, that we know from other spots, we're saying, hey, oh, wow. It's kind of like, is it, uh, it doesn't quite rise to the level of David Bowie in Labyrinth, though. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and yeah, you, you can't, yeah, it's not even in the same category. But uh, here's the thing, and this is, this is I think, the problem that, that the readers of the novel have is that Paul's like, what, 15? Yeah. Fade is 15. Like these are mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, you know, these are younger type characters and so mm-hmm. to see a 30-year-old Sting and you know, a 20 whatever year old um Paul, it's just it's just odd just the age itself mm-hmm. based on what you know from the novel. I kind of like Sting's craziness. Um I don't know, Paul, just, what do you think? I, you know, and back to Jodorowsky, that role is supposed to be Mick Jagger. It's like they kind of yes. took his blueprint and said, yes. okay, rock star, rock star. Yes. Um, you know, he, nobody, like Devin said, no one did a great job acting, and it was probably just like, we're rushed or get yeah. through this, let's do this. Yeah. Uh, just the thing where his eyes, he's trying to like, his eyes are bugging out at times, like he's thinking, or I'm evil, mm-hmm. you know, look how evil yeah. I am. Just yeah. all this, I will kill him, I will kill him. That's all I can yeah. say, you know. Yeah. It just, you know, it may not be necessarily his fault, but I didn't. I didn't think it was a good choice. Yeah, and I love Sting. You know, Police, thumbs up. Uh, yeah. You know, Dream of Blue Turtles, thumbs up. Yeah. Soul Cages, thumbs up. To you know, yeah. love Sting. I've saw him concert. Uh, just stick to concerts. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Stay it's, in it's your lane. Those, yeah, it's one of those. <laughs> it's just one of those things that it's just like this is so. It, it was such an interesting casting choice. And Sting is just, you're right. He like kind of plays, I'm crazy, but mm. mm-hmm. is he crazy? Like, do you really believe he's crazy? Um, and there's so many actors out there that, that based on their physical movements and what they do, you're unnerved. Perfect example is um, the Joker in The Dark Knight, you know, Heath Ledger's mm. performance. Just in his mm. movements, you're unnerved by it. You're unnerved by yeah. how how he acts like that. That's kind of what I think of fade and Dune is someone that is so unhinged, but sort of beautiful at the same time. And and mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's beautiful and terrible. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it like, I don't know what's going to happen in this new film, but like, that's a pretty key thing because it plays off Paul so well. And so mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of curiosity about what's coming up. Well, all that said, we have big fight scene at the end, Paul kills fade and then basically Paul declares himself, you know, I'm I'm it. I'm the I'm superhuman. I the key am the hard cataract. Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> the what? The key key the key swat the key, I can't use the key swats hatterack, I think it's key swats that's their messiah stats. version. Yeah. yeah. So he's Messiah, and we end the movie. Yay, new Jesus in Dune, Desert Planet, <laughs> yay. <laughs> Do you like the end, or is the end just more of the same? I, I yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, emphatic yes. Yeah, do I like the ending? I, so here's the thing, right? When we get into movies like this, there's inevitable. Um, there's going to be strands of disappointment, but then there's also going to be strands of like, 
wow, it, 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 you kind of alluded to this when when so much is happening in a very short time span as far as running time of the film. Um, I, I think I'm so worn out at this point that I'm just like, right. I, I just trying to exhale. Oh, oh, it's over. <sighs> exhale. Um, right. So do I like it? Um, yeah, not really. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I do find riding a giant worm kind of compelling and cool. Mm. Uh, but Carl, that's about it. I mean, how do you that, feel about the ending of the film? I mean, I was going to say the same thing because it's like they they got to whatever character developing they could do and got to the death of Leto. And then it was like, now we're going to try to wow you with how big these worms are. Yeah. And yeah. it's almost too overused, you know. It's like they kind of teased you at the beginning and then it was like the worms were the answer to everything at the end and then it rained. And the rain, you know, good. You know, the rain was like, okay, it's not supposed to rain on Dune. Okay, there's some, there's something there, but that's, you know, let's go home. Yeah. Let's rip the knob off. Oh, Boom. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of ripping the knob off, let's let's talk some music. Let's take a quick break, come back, and we'll talk about what music we would listen to in December of 1984. Wow. So let's take a quick break. Are you reeling in the All right, this is it. This is our segment of Lock It In and Rip the Knob Off, where we share with you, our wonderful listeners, the songs that we would listen to mm. um, that best sums up our feelings about the movie, but but it has to be a song that was out um, in on the playing on the radio on December of 1984. This movie came out on, on Friday, the 14th of December of 84. Um, this was one of the, we've had some hard weeks, Devin, in yeah. terms of what to pick Yeah. this, this week and yeah. what was playing on the radio in 84. This is glorious stuff. And it was, there was so much to choose from that could fit. I, I think we need to start with Carl, our intern. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Uh, because I think he he has the best handle on um, Whoa. Hmm. what to listen to. Yeah. Well, Devin, just pick. I want Devin to pick a random number because I think all 100 of the Hot 100 uh, would make would make it. Just give me a random number. Devin. Ran- okay. Uh, 34. Ooh, 34. Let's yeah. Let's see what that is. What is 34? All righty. 34 is it's Jeremy's. No, it's okay. <laughs> I was wrong. It's the Bell of St. Mark. But, oh, Sheila um, E. <laughs> Sheila E. I think there's something in there about dreams and you know who you dream about. So you yeah. know, that could All fit right. somewhere. Okay. But wow. um Wow. I I pick uh, you know, unfortunately Depeche Mode's uh, personal Quisot's Hatterack was just outside the top one hundred. Yeah. Yes. I think that would have been yeah. perfect. Playing um, to the audience. Yeah. There's a lot of good ones. Uh, you know, you could have gone with Two Tribes by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Yeah, there's a bomb in there. You could have yeah. you could have doubled up on Prince. You'd Whoa. have the messianic I would die for you, mm. along with purple, which is the color of royalty, yeah, rain. Sure. Wow. It, it rain it rained on Arrakis right. so wow. for the first time ever. So uh, you got a lot in there you could do. I would say I'm going to go with bring this full circle. Um, the setting of this movie, it, it reminded me of two other movies. Uh, Jeremy, what do you think those movies might be? It might be... Dino De Laurentiis. Ooh. Two other you know, movies. Uh, yeah. Toto did the soundtrack for this. Uh, so Dino De Laurentiis with a pop band doing soundtrack. Wow. Oh my God. Flash Gordon. You got it. You nailed it, Jeremy. Flash Damn. Gordon. Way to go, man. And, and Bar... 
Barbarella. That's one thing that took me out of Barbarella. when I first saw it. Wow. Those are those are campy movies, and I think that took me out of watching the movie originally because mm. it, it is a they the setting. It looks like it's a, they all have a very very similar aesthetic as yeah. far as how they look and how they feel. And, but this is a more serious movie than those. Yeah. But yeah. what was the band that got their name from Barbarella? Go Devin. Um, oh my God, this is the biggest flex from Carl. Our wow, telling us that we don't know what the hell we're doing, Devin. We're just gonna completely edit this out in post production. Uh, uh, the band uh, that's man, gonna be in my new uh, show. That's it's, fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the band that got his name from Barbarella is gotta be. Um, Duran Duran, you nailed it. Once oh, again, you guys are killing man. it on this. Duran Duran. So all, we're going to go with was on my lips. Duran Duran, Wild Boys. Oh, wow. boys. Wild Boys. You know, and, and the thing about Wild Boys is the song actually does kind of sound like the drums and everything. It has a really kind of a menacing sound of mm, things going on. So tribal beat there. I think it really fits with that. Also, the lyrics talk about the Wild Boys are calling the way back from the fire, you know how hot Arrakis mm, is. Right. In August, moon surrender, a dust cloud on the rise. So the moon was a big deal. Paul got his name Wadib from the moon. A uh, dust cloud could be, you know, worm sign. You know, all kinds of fun stuff. It talks about uh, on the razor's edge, you trail because there's murder by the roadside in a sore, afraid new world. So Duke Lido was killed on the new world he was living on. Wild boys, Duran Duran. There you go, ripping the knob off. What the hell? Devin, uh, um, we might as well just end the show I now. Think, um, I think he just ripped the entire radio out of the freaking car and <laughs> threw it out on the highway. Uh, wow. Devin, uh, whatever we wow. do now will not – I mean, it can't measure up to what I'm, our intern just did. I'm, I'm feeling um, some of the severe side effects of mods right now. Um, <laughs> it's really it's Devin, really do you have a up. pick or did he I don't have a pick Jeremy because Carl the intern picked for me he uh he went in on the show notes which our <laughs> listeners obviously they don't see our show notes but um Carl the intern actually picked it for me so let me just run down the column here and, and tell you what uh what okay. I picked. Uh, it says, here it says, Carl pick for you? Yeah, it's, it says Devin's pick. Um, <laughs> Desert Moon and Don't Wait for Heroes by, of course, by Dennis Young, but as, as Carl the intern puts in the notes, Dennis Day, in parentheses, Sean Young. So making that 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 tie once again that only Carl the intern, intern could do. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm apparently going with Desert Moon and Don't Wait for Heroes by former part of the legend rock band Sticks. Um. Yeah, and and uh, audience, I apologize. Uh, Carl is completely and totally out, outshone all of us, and and so, yeah, my pick is the heat is on by Glenn Fry. Um, wow. I, I I'll, I'll put a, a sound effect in that goes wah wah. Um, <laughs> well, no, and when the heat is on, you need to cool it now by uh, New Edition. So nice. that would be in there too. Wow. Good <laughs> lord. I know he's he's out of control. He's out of control. Um, yeah, Miami Vice. This was its premiere season was in 84. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Fry, Heat is On. This stuff was all over the radio. I could not think of a better song to listen to on my way out of the theater's parking lot after seeing Dune than this song here. So I, I, that's what I'm going with. Those are Lock It In and Rip the Knob Off picks. But, you know, we, we got to talk about There Can Be Only One. Oh. There Can Be Only One. Wow. All right. So with There Can Be Only One, what is the single best thing, character, moment, scene, line 
theme or song from the movie. What's the best thing about the movie? My pick, and I, I'm going to just, I, once I say it, listeners, you'll go, yep, that's the best thing about Dune. Wow. Whisper narration. Whisper narration. S- say more about I, that. <laughs> I love whisper narration. <laughs> um, it is so laughable, and and I remember on the rewatch just just the other day, I was just I could not stop laughing every time someone whisper narrated what they were thinking. I adore it. Wow. Um, so that's my favorite thing. That's my there can be only one. Uh, Carl, what's your what's your pick? Um, I, my one with a line. It's when um. Uh, the emperor is in trouble with the guild at the end of the movie. And so there's a reckoning. And so he's in trouble because of how the Baron and his family took care of uh, Rackus. They did a bad job. So after the guild gets onto the emperor, he says, bring me that floating fat man. Wow. The Baron. (laughs) Like you, you didn't know it was the Baron. Right. Exactly. That's the best part of the pause of like, I've got a whole antechamber of floating fat men. So to know, which one I mean, I mean the Baron, because there are a bunch of them waiting out there. So, wow, and he works. says it, the, the delivery is great too. So that's where I'm going. Yeah, that's a good pick. That's a good Oof. pick. Devin, wow. bring, this, bring this home for us. Yeah, um, no small task after that. Um, well, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, dear listener, I'm going to take a little bit of, of a side alley on, on this one because I'm actually, I'm going to erase what I. I normally would have would have probably said and what I had in mind for this. And I'm actually because I discovered it while we're recording, I'm going with the Baron Harkonnen action figure. I mean <laughs> the the IP and the licensability of those fat men, as as Carl just alluded to, um, who couldn't be a joyous young lad playing with those in the sandbox <laughs> with friends. Um so I'm I'm going with the Baron Harkonnen uh, action figure, Jeremy. Yeah, that's a great pick. Yeah. I mean, who would steal that action figure? Yeah, it would you know, be safe. You know what I mean? It would be safe. No one, yeah, no one would like they might take He-Man, they might take the GI Joes, but right. they they're leaving the Baron alone. I'll I'll, I'll yeah. guarantee that for you. Yeah, the floating fat man yeah. ain't going anywhere. Yeah. Ain't going anywhere. Uh listeners, thanks for going on this journey with us with uh with Dune. Uh you can find us on Twitter at live in the past L I V I N the past. Obviously, we uh, shared with you our mod situation um, for our patron. You can really help us. You can help us survive. You can even help us to thrive uh, by going to patreon.com forward slash living in the past. L-I-V-I-N, I-N, the past. Hey, we're on Facebook, that dumpster fire. So you can find us there at facebook.com forward slash living the past. Um, guys, next episode, uh, I am so excited about, um, we're obviously going to be moving into the month of October. We have Friday the 13th part four at the end of the month, but before we get there, our patrons voted for that, by the way, um, before we get there, we're going to be doing the 1982 classic, the thing, uh, John Carpenter's excellent, excellent horror movie, probably my favorite horror movie. So, um, that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, we do a, we do some stuff on Patreon, and we have a podcast for our patrons called What You Talking About. We're not done with Van Damme, so we have coming up Best Damn Moments of Van Damme on our What You Talking About podcast. And we'll mm. talk a little bit about Conan the Destroyer, the one uh, swords and sorcery 
film that we didn't do on the main show. Mm. We're going to be chatting a little bit about that on our Patreon episode. Guys, this was fun. I'm excited about what's coming. Good times. It was great. Thank uh, you. I'll get... Yeah, I'll Go get ahead. the dry cleaning to you as soon as I can. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was it was great to have a guest on here who just completely kicked our ass, Jeremy. That's great. We should definitely do that more often. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, on that note, <laughs> bye. Uh. <laughs>